I thought my exasperations were over. But no. A magnificent porter within the gate had just consented to get my luggage off the cab and was in the act of beginning to do so when a savagely dressed, ugly and ageing woman, followed by a maid, rushed neurotically down the steps and called him away to hold a parcel. He obeyed. At the same instant, the barbaric and repulsive creature's automobile, about as large as a railway carriage, drove up and forced my frail cab down the street. I had to wait, humiliated and helpless, the taximeter of my cab industriously adding penny to penny, while that offensive hag installed herself, with the help of the maid, the porter and two page-boys, in her enormous vehicle. I should not have minded had she been young and pretty. If she had been young and pretty, she would have had the right to be rude and domineering. But she was neither young nor pretty. Conceivably she had once been young, pretty she could never have been. And her eyes were hard, hard. Hence my state of excited annoyance. Hello, how goes it? The perfect colloquial English was gently murmured at me with a French accent as the gentle hand patted my shoulder. Why, I said, cast violently out of a disagreeable excitement into an agreeable one, I do believe you are Boissy Minor. I had not seen him for nearly twenty years, but I recognised in that soft and melancholy Jewish face, with the soft moustache and the soft beard, the wistful features of the boy of fifteen who had been my companion at an international school, a clever invention for inflicting exile upon patriots, with branches at Hastings, Dresden and Versailles. Soon I was telling him, not without satisfaction, that being a dramatic critic and attached to a London daily paper which decided to flatter its readers by giving special criticisms of the more important new French plays, I had come to Paris for the production of Notre-Dame de la Lune at the Vaudeville. And as I told him, the idea occurred to me for positively the first time. By the way, I suppose you aren't any relation of Octave Boissy. I rather hoped he was. For after all, say what you like, there's a certain pleasure in feeling that you have been to school with even a relative of so tremendous a European celebrity as Octave Boissy, the man who had made a million and a half francs with his second play, which was nevertheless quite a good play. All the walls of Paris were shouting his name. I am the Johnny himself, he replied with timidity, naively proud of his Saxon slang. I did not give an astounded no. An astounded no would have been rude. Still, my fear is that I failed to conceal entirely my amazement. I had to fight desperately against the natural human tendency to assume that no boy with whom one has been at school can have developed into a great man. Really? I remarked as calmly as I could, and adding a shocking lie. Well, I'm not surprised. And at the same time, I could hear myself saying a few days later at the office of my paper, I met Octave Boissy in Paris. I went to school with him, you know. You'd forgotten my Christian name, probably, he said. No, I hadn't, I answered. Your Christian name was Minor. You never had any other. He smiled kindly. But what on earth are you doing here? Octave Boissy was a very wealthy man. He even looked a very wealthy man. He was one of the darlings of success and of an absurdly luxurious civilization, and he seemed singularly out of place in the vast banal foyer of the Hotel Terminus, among the shifting, bustling crowd of utterly ordinary, bourgeois, moderately well-off tourists and travellers and needy touts. 
He ought at least to have been in a very select private room at the Maurice or the Bristol, if in any hotel at all. The fact is, I'm neurasthenic, he said simply, just as if he'd been saying, the fact is, I've got a wooden leg. Oh, I laughed, determined to treat him as Boissy Minor and not as Octave Boissy. I have a morbid horror of walking in the open air, and yet I cannot bear being in a small enclosed space, especially when it's moving. This is extremely inconvenient. Mais que veux-tu? Suis comme ça. Je te plains, I put in, so as to return his familiar and flattering thou immediately. I was strongly advised to go and stay in the country, he went on, with the same serious, wistful simplicity. And so I ordered a special saloon carriage on the railway, so as to have as much breathing room as possible. And I ventured from my house to this station in an auto. I thought I could surely manage that, but I couldn't.